friend. It is another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live at Joy 620 or you're listening to the podcast, the archive of the show over at investinghope.com, Google Play, iTunes, Podbeam, or even Alexa to play the show now. So there's a lot of places you can hear this show, hear issues of the day concerning life and abortion, and a lot of things to talk about even this week as we inch ever so closer to election day a lot has happened since last week the president of these united states uh tested positive for covid went to walter reed hospital for a couple days and now is back at the white house looks like he has uh beat the virus uh at least he looks to be in good health and uh not sick i think the fever is gone and so we shall see but a lot of folks over the white house because of the close proximity uh have tested positive uh, but have yet the first lady also tested positive. Uh, the press secretary, uh, a number of folks are in quarantine right now. So we shall see what that means for the, the coming days as far as we have a debate coming up. Will the debate happen? Will the debate not happen? Uh, of course, the last debate was a debacle. So uh, so it'll probably happen. You know, it's 2020. So let's have another craziness of a debate. Uh, so that's going to be happening in the new future. We have Joe Biden and the vice uh, or vice president. Uh, I'm sorry, Vice President Mike Pence and Kamala Harris will be debating each other uh, in the next few days. I believe I don't think it's not. I think it's this week. And you can uh, see that that should be riveting uh, television. I'm joking uh, since the sarcasm there. Uh, But you can watch that. I'm sure we'll talk about it on here next week as we provide the analysis that you so desperately need. And won't. And even if you don't need it or want it, guess what? You're going to get it right here at Joy 620 uh, every Tuesday afternoon at 5 o'clock. Today, what we're going to do is talk about a number of things. There's some uh, some things going on. You know, it's interesting. If you see things on the Internet or your Facebook page or your Twitter page or your Instagram page, uh, I, I some of it's not real. I don't know if you knew that, but some of it is not true. In fact, there are folks out there that... Uh, purposely push news uh, that is untrue. And so one of those things has to do with abortion. And over the last few weeks and months, there's been a lot of memes that have popped up on social media. And there's been a lot of folks posting this, even I would say uh, some folks that would call themselves pro-life, some folks that would call themselves evangelicals have been posting this uh, info as well. And they've been saying that Democratic presidents cause large declines in the abortion rate. And what they do is they look at the numbers and they say, look, when a Democrat is in the White House, that abortion rates decline. And so you see that post, it's a quick post and it's a quick meme, and then you see it and you go, yeah, I mean, of course that's true. We're not going to do any research or, or, or read anything about it, but we're going to read the headline and that headline says this. And so if the headline says that, then obviously it's true. Well, no, no, obviously it's not true. And so we're going to do a little deep dive on that. Michael New over at Live Action, and, and I've, I've talked about Michael New a number of times as he's wrote a lot of great pieces discussing actually the, the statistics, looking even from 1973 and seeing the decline over the years, uh, the decline of abortions occurring at the same time we've seen an increase in pregnancy centers opening their doors. And so it's important that we look at everything, uh, look at all the numbers when we have this conversation. And Michael New wrote a great piece over at Live Action that we're going to start with today. So this fall, there have been several internet memes claiming there have been much larger declines in the incidence of abortion during Democratic presidential administrations 
than during Republican presidential administrations. Their implied message is that, quote, pro-choice Democratic presidents have been far more effective as stopping abortion than pro-life Republican presidents. However, a close analysis of reliable abortion data shows this claim does not withstand serious scrutiny. Now, there's the phrase, serious scrutiny. Are we allowed to have serious scrutiny in 2020? No, because we read headlines and we look at memes and that's it. We don't read anything. We don't research anything. But man, that headline got us. And so I'm going to share this article because the headline got me and all I need to know is the headline. Well, folks, we got to be better than that. The internet memes purportedly, uh, purportedly showing larger abortion clients during Democratic presidencies are misleading for three reasons. Nearly all of them neglect to mention that the U.S. abortion rate rose sharply during the presidential administration of Dem- Democratic Jimmy Carter. Some of these means use abortion data from the CDC. The fact that California stopped reporting its abortion data to the CDC in 1997 explains why some memes report a very large decline in abortion during the Clinton administration. Yeah, California, one of the largest states in the nation, not reporting abortion numbers. It's also one of the most progressive states in the nation. No longer reporting abortion numbers and haven't done so since 1997. Yeah, it would make sense that you would see a dramatic decline during the Clinton administration. Why? Because one of the largest states in the union stopped reporting. That matters. And then Michael New says, number three, some of the memes analyze total abortions instead of the abortion rate. This is misleading because during the 80s, there was an increase in the population of women of childbearing age. As such, even though the abortion rate declined during the Reagan administration, the overall number of abortions increased. An analysis of abortion rate data from the Guttmacher Institute tells a much different story. Unlike the CDC, the Guttmacher Institute consistently reports abortion rate data from all 50 states. Additionally, since, the, uh, since Guttmacher conducts a survey of abortion facilities, their abortion data is considered more reliable than CDC data. And I think we've seen pretty clear that CDC data in 2020 Not very accurate. As the table below indicates, Guttmacher Institute data demonstrates that there has been a durable long-term decline in the U.S. abortion rate that has persisted through every presidential administration since 1980. And and here's what that chart says because we're on radio and you can't see it. Uh, Let's see. During Carter, from 77 to 81, an increase of 2.9 per thousand women. Uh, That was the change in abortion rate. Uh, during Reagan, 81 to 89, of course, Reagan, a Republican, decrease of 2.6 per thousand women. Bush, 41, a Republican, 89 to 93, decrease of 2.1 per thousand women. Clinton, Democrat, 93 to 2001, decrease of 3.7 per thousand. Bush, 43, Republican, 2001 to 2009, decrease of 2.3 per thousand. Obama, 2009 to 2017, decrease of 5.1 per thousand women. Now, it is true there were larger abortion rate declines during the presidential administrations of Democrats Bill Clinton and Barack Obama than the administrations of Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, and George W. Bush. However, these abortion rate declines had nothing to do with the actions of either President Clinton or Obama. Since the Supreme Court's 92 Planned Parenthood v. Casey decision, states have played an increasingly larger role in abortion policy. During both the Clinton and Obama administrations, Republicans made large gains in many state legislatures. In fact, between 92 and 2020, the number of states where Republicans control both chambers of the state legislature has increased from 7 to 29. That number matters. 
Furthermore, many states where Republican legislatures have been very active in passing a range of protective pro-life laws. We've seen that even here in the state of Tennessee. Furthermore, an analysis of the long-term decline in the U.S. abortion rate provides some very important context to this discussion. Since 1980, the U.S. abortion rate has dropped by more than 50%. While many are quick to credit contraception use, the unattended pregnancy rate has actually fluctuated since the early 80s. A better explanation for the abortion rate decline is because a, a higher percentage of unintended pregnancies are being carried to term. Approximately 54% of unintended pregnancies were aborted in 1980. That number fell to 42% by 2011. This nicely shows that pro-life educational, service, and legislative efforts have all been effective. Furthermore, this data also shows that the long-term decline in the U.S. abortion rate has nothing to do with the election of Democratic presidents. Overall, as the pro-life position has made gains in the court of public opinion, groups that support legal abortion are trying a new strategy. Instead of arguing that the pro-lifers are wrong, they try to argue that pro-lifers are ineffective. They are quick to circulate analysis, which purportedly shows that electing pro-life candidates or enacting pro-life laws are ineffective strategies for lowering abortion rates. Instead, they claim that increased spending on contraception, health care, and welfare is a better strategy for pro-lifers. However, there are no peer-reviewed studies which show that more funding for welfare, health care, or contraception programs will result in abortion rate reductions. Conversely, there is a significant body of academic research which shows that a range of pro-life laws reduce abortion rates. And also, pro-lifers shouldn't be taking their strategy sessions with pro-choicers. They do not want us to succeed, folks. So we should not sit down and listen and, and say, oh, that's a winning strategy? Okay, we will take on the pro-choice strategy. Of course not. In conclusion, pro-lifers should not be fooled by these internet memes. An important reason why the U.S. abortion rate has declined during both Republican and Democratic presidential administrations is because of the tireless work of pro-lifers. Our educational service and legislative efforts are paying dividends. A higher percentage of Americans identify as, quote, pro-life. According to Heartbeat International, the number of organizations devoted to assisting pregnant women has increased by 86% between 1988 and 2015. A significant body of research shows that the Hyde Amendment saves lives. And in 2016, Lozier Institute study found that the Hyde Amendment saves over 60,000 lives every single year. In addition, there has been significant increase in the number of state-level pro-life laws that have been enacted. Pro-lifers would do well to stay the course. And Michael knew, I salute you because you nailed it. And that's the reality, folks. Look, the, the, the reality, it was always interesting to me. The, the, the narrative of those that are pro-abortion is, hey, when we have the office, there are less abortions. It, that, that just seems odd considering you want more abortions. That seems odd considering during the pandemic you want to provide abortion over the counter. Seems odd that, that during the pandemic you want to provide abortion via telemedicine. Via, via the UPS. So, so don't come at me and say, hey, when, when we are in office, abortion numbers decline. There's a lot that goes into that. It has, frankly, it has very little to do with the Oval Office. Very little. But what I'm going to show you coming up is what would happen with a Biden-Harris ticket. What would happen if the Oval Office turns blue in January? What, what would happen because of that? Not just more abortions here in our country, not just taxpayer-funded abortions, but 
taxpayer-funded abortions around the world. Is that what we want? Is that the direction we want to go in? Is that what is progress? Is that progressive? Moving us in a direction where we end more lives instead of saving more lives? Can you, with a straight face, say that we, we put all these things in place, protocols in place during COVID to protect even one life while also at the same time saying we need to have abortion on demand? Can you, can you say that with a straight face? I don't think so. I mean, you, you can't honestly say it. You, know, you can say it, and many have. But, but what, what direction are we going to go? And, and, and the fact that, that you saw in the 90s and in, in 2000s, you saw House and, and Senate across state, you saw state legislators completely flip from blue to red. That makes a difference. In Tennessee, I, I worked at the legislature in Tennessee as, back up until 2008. In 2008, now think about the makeup of our state politically. In 2008, the House and the Senate was controlled by Democrats in the state of Tennessee. The legislature in the state of Tennessee was controlled by Democrats. When I left from working in Nashville, we had a Democratic House, a Democratic Senate, and a Democratic governor. Since that time, we have not just flipped the House and Senate and the governor's mansion. We have now super majorities. Since that time, we've passed bills that, that have made an ultrasound a requirement. We've, we've passed bills that, that, that require 48 hours after your ultrasound that you can receive an abortion. We have language in place that defunds Planned Parenthood. We have language in place that is restricting abortion in the state of Tennessee. And the state of Tennessee is not the only one. We've seen that in Georgia and Alabama and other places. So, so to act as if the numbers are declining only because of who's in the White House, that's nonsense. That refuses to look at the states, and the states are where it matters. And states are making a difference. And it also is nonsense to use the CDC numbers that do not include the state of California. So hopefully that clears it up for you. We're making a difference at a state level. And ultimately, folks, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, that's where the rubber meets the road anyway, the state level. So let's prepare our state and other states for that day. We'll talk more when we come back. So right now we're about a month away, a month away from the election. So what that means is over the next four shows, yeah, I'll do one show a week, so four weeks roughly, over the next four shows, we're going to be talking heavy election, okay? And so bear with me on that, but I, I do think it's important. And, and what I want to shift to right now, <clears throat> excuse me, is those that are running in the Democratic Party and, and where they stand on abortion. I think it's important. I can't tell you how to vote. Vote vote your conscience. Vote how you see fit. Pray through it. Uh, but I do think it's important you know where people fall on the issue. Many of the folks that listen to this show, I would assume, uh, are one-issue voters. So maybe, for some of you, I'm preaching to the choir. Maybe this is stuff that you already knew. 
but maybe for some of you, you, you still see yourself as a one-issue voter. Look, the pro-life issue, the abortion issue is the issue, but, but there's still things that you haven't come across or, or things that you haven't read or know about. And so my, my goal throughout the next uh, few weeks is to highlight some of those areas. And there's a piece over at National Review uh, that, that talks about Joe Biden's position on abortion. Even going back as far as 1982, remember, he's been in office of some kind for about 47 years. He's been there a long time. It's always interesting to me when politicians that have been in there a long time are saying, hey, if you just get me in the Oval Office, all this is going to change. Racism will end. Poverty will end. And then my first question to, to all of them is, what have you been doing? You, you've been there longer than I've been on earth. And nothing seems to be better. So why now? Why should we give you the keys to the White House? Seems like a fair question. Of course, we'll never get an answer to it, but seems like a fair question nonetheless. So this piece over at National Review says this. In 1982... Joe Biden voted for a constitutional amendment to allow individual states to overturn Roe v. Wade. 30 years later, in his 2012 debate with Paul Ryan, Biden claimed to believe that life begins at conception. Now think about that. Eight years ago, right? If I do my math right, yeah. Eight years ago, Biden claimed to believe that life begins at conception. So if Biden believes that, now, now I'm, I'm going to read the rest of the sentence. It's going to concern you greatly. It concerns me greatly. Biden admitted on national television in front of millions of viewers in a debate with Paul Ryan that he believes life begins at conception. What that means is he believed, at least eight years ago, that at conception you had a unique human being growing inside the womb a unique individual that never been created before and would never be created again. Life begins at conception. That's what that means. And Biden said, I believe that to be so. And then he followed it up with this, but said that he would not impose that belief, belief on other Americans. Folks, that is crazy. How can you say you believe life begins at conception? That that is a unique individual human being that has never been created before and would never be created again. Yet, you don't have the conviction to say, so we need to do something about it. At that point, your belief means nothing. It either is a life or it's not. There is no middle ground. It isn't a, well, personally, I believe this, but, but I don't want to impose my thought. No, it either is a life. Or it's not. There is no middle ground. The article goes further. It was an utterly incoherent and deeply irresponsible position to take. If you believe that human life begins at conception, it is cowardly, not admirable or selfless to abdicate your duty to stand up and speak up for the voiceless. It is especially shameful to abdicate for reasons of political self-preservation, as Biden did on that debate stage. Now, Biden has tacked even further left on the issue, expressing his support for repealing the Hyde Amendment last June after 40 years of opposing such a repeal. And on Monday evening at an NBC News town hall, he even went so far as to promise to enshrine the holding of Roe v. Wade legislatively. Now, does that sound like somebody that believes life begins at conception? 
Does that sound like somebody that says, personally, I'm pro-life? No, no, it doesn't because he's not. What this means is a politician has stuck his finger in the air and he's seeing which way the political winds are blowing. And, And the crazy part about abortion, the political winds are not blowing in the favor of more abortion yet they still go down this path because they they can't stop themselves. It's the same reason why in the debate the other night, Biden said, I do not agree with the Green New Deal. That is not my position. And then he immediately turned around and defended every part of the Green New Deal. It's the same reason why he said, I don't believe in the Green New Deal. It's not my position yet. You go to his website and it's on his website. You see the political winds or at least the woke winds of Twitter, is kind of the way they decide policy nowadays. Biden's hostile public posture toward life is incoherent and growing more indefensible by the day. So, so folks, I, I bring this up because there's going to be people out there. I saw something today. I thought it was... a. Uh, uh, from the Babylon Bee, but it was serious. And it said, pro-life evangelicals for Biden. And their argument is, we're pro-life, we're against abortion, but the policies of Biden and Harris are more pro-life than Trump and Pence. Folks, that's not true. And it's not just not true because I'm pro-life and I'm supposed to be, you know, have a big R beside my name and conservative. No, it's just not true. If you do not get the the issue of life right in the womb, you're not going to get it right anywhere. So you can't tell me, look, I'm for saving people's lives by ending poverty, but I'm also for ending people's lives via abortion. You can't hold both of those positions. Now, I mean, you can hold them. It's America. You can hold any position you want. But those positions don't line with each other. That's why we find ourselves with, with laws on the books, like in New Jersey, that say you can abort a baby uh, after 20 weeks, but you can't slaughter a cow if she's pregnant. That's a real law. You see how upside down that is? So in New Jersey, if you find yourself pregnant and you're about 20, 22 weeks, you even know the gender of the baby, but you want to get an abortion, you can do that. And you'll be applauded and you'll be told that you're brave and courageous. But if you're a farmer and you have a cow that needs to be slaughtered and that cow happens to be pregnant, God forbid you be able to slaughter that cow. Why? Because there's life inside of that cow. So they won't let you. See how nonsensical that is? So when Joe Biden said eight years ago, I believe life begins at conception, and I would love to see a reporter ask Joe Biden about this today. Hey, Joe Biden, Vice President Biden, eight years ago in a debate with Paul Ryan, you said you believe personally that life begins at conception. Do you hold that belief today in 2020? Here's what, how I bet he would answer. He wouldn't answer. That's what he would do. He would, uh, he would push that question just like he pushed the stacking of the Supreme Court question at the debate. He would not answer it because it's going to hurt his narrative. The last thing he wants people to see on his side is that, that he believes life begins at conception. But it is cowardly. 
It's very much like Pontius Pilate when Pontius Pilate said, "Do y'all what do y'all want to do with this man named Jesus?" And they were screaming, "Crucify him!" And Pontius Pilate washed his hands and said, "I wash my hands of it." Folks, it's not that easy. You don't get to wash your hands of it. So saying that you're personally pro-life or you personally believe life begins at conception and doing nothing to protect life within the womb, it's a cowardly act. It is not courageous. It is not bold. It is not heroic. It is cowardly. We'll talk more when we come back. Look, the goal here each and every week is to speak truth. My, my goal is not to speak my truth or your truth or her truth or his truth. There's only truth and not truth. And so the reason why we're focusing on the things we are today is because I think it's important that, we, that the truth is out there on where people stand on issues that matter greatly to us and certainly matters greatly to this, to this audience. I mean, if you're listening to this show, more than likely it's because you care deeply about life and you want to see it protected, uh, protected legislatively, protected by the courts, protected uh, in your household, protected via pregnancy centers, just protected. And, and so it's uh, a slap in the face when we're being told or lectured that we're just some religious zealots because we want to protect the vulnerable in life in the womb. Like, there's certainly a religious aspect to it. There's certainly the, the biblical worldview that says every individual bears the image of God both in and out of the womb, absolutely. But also there's science to this. That science knows and has told us and showed us and illustrated to us the same way a biblical worldview does that, that life begins at conception. We can even watch the stage of development uh, in the womb. Uh, just the other day, you, if, if you've been paying attention to the news, John Legend and his wife, uh, his wife had a miscarriage. Terrible. My wife has had a miscarriage. It's, it's a terrible thing to go through. And Planned Parenthood posted a picture and said they, their thoughts are out to the Legend family and that miscarriage is a, is a real thing and losing a child is a real thing that needs to be mourned. I would agree with that and applaud that. It's just interesting to me, the, the organization that ends the life of 328,000 babies every single year would humanize a baby via miscarriage. I mean, how could you do that? What, what exactly are John Legend and his wife mourning? What were me and my wife mourning when we had a miscarriage, if it's not a life in the womb, if it's not a baby, if it's just a blob, are we mourning and weeping for a blob of cells? Or were we mourning and weeping for the child that was growing inside the womb? You see how contradicting that is. So that's why we're talking about the positions of folks that are running for the highest office in the land. It matters. It matters where they stand on these issues. 
And so the question is, what, what does abortion look like if Biden and Harris take the Oval Office at the election in November? Do Joe Biden and Harris believe that abortion should be legal even late in pregnancy? <clears throat> Here are four pieces of evidence to suggest the answer is yes. First, Biden and Harris are strong supporters of Roe v. Wade. Roe requires that abortion be permissible, even at the end of pregnancy, whenever a physician believes it necessary to protect a woman's health. Doe v. Bolton, the companion case to Roe, says that the medical judgment may be exercised in the light of all factors, physical, emotional, psychological, familia, and the woman's age relevant to the well-being of the patient. That means when people say the health of the mom, if you were to poll the audience, anyone on the street, and you said, what does it mean when people talk about abortion and they say, what does it mean when they talk about the health of the mother? I would be willing to bet nine out of 10 of the folks would say, well, it means that she's going to die if she doesn't receive an abortion. But the reality is it doesn't mean that she's going to die. It means that that could be her physical health, her emotional health, her psychological health, her familial health, and the woman's age. All of those things are considered for the health of the mother. While it has sometimes been suggested that Doe did not intend to say a broad health exception is constitutionally required, subsequent court decisions have insisted on it. We have reason to think that each year in America, more than 10,000 abortions take place after the 20th week of pregnancy, and that the bulk of these abortions do not take place because of risk to the mother's physical health or because of fetal abnormality. Yet prosecutions for violating state statutes that appear to prohibit abortion late in pregnancy are vanishingly rare perhaps because the Supreme Court appears to have made such laws unenforceable. And that's why you see cases like if a mom uh, has a baby and then throws that baby in the dumpster or drowns that baby, she's charged with, uh, with homicide. But if that same person walked into an abortion clinic and received an abortion, even late term in the pregnancy, no one is penalized. You see that? There's a new documentary out on Netflix. I, I'm not going to watch it, but, but you know the story. Happened out in Colorado. Uh, a man killed his wife and his two little girls. Just a terrible, terrible case. He killed his wife, his two little girls. But his wife was pregnant. Do you know how many murders he was charged with? He was charged with four murders. Even in the state of Colorado. He was charged with four murders. Now, why was he charged with four murders? Because there was a human growing inside of his wife, and he killed that human too. You see how inconsistent we are. Biden has said that there will be a litmus test on abortion for any Supreme Court justice he nominates. Neither he nor Harris says that the court should adjust its jurisprudence to allow abortion to be banned late in pregnancy. Second, Biden and Harris have each sponsored bills that appear to keep abortion late in pregnancy legal, even if the Supreme Court were to change its mind. Harris has sponsored legislation, the, quote, Women's Health Protection Act, that explicitly provides for legal abortion after viability when the treating health care provider thinks it's necessary for the mother's health. And it later adds that all terms in the law should be construed liberally. <laughs> She has also sponsored separate legislation to provide federal funding for abortion with no time limitation in the bill text and to require state governments to pay for abortions, again, with no time limitation in the bill text. During her presidential campaign, she said that she would require states to show the Justice Department that any changes in abortion policy they intended to make conform to the Women's Health Protection Act. Now, think about that. 
If we try to pass a pro-life piece of legislation, what's the first thing we're screamed at about? Are there any exceptions? Every single time. Hey, you're trying to restrict abortion. What about health of the mom, incest, rape, anything? You're going to put those exceptions in there, right? I get this pushback even from pro-lifers. Well, we got to put the exceptions in there. I mean, we, we can't have a piece of legislation that, that ultimately makes it illegal to, to have abortions. You've got to have exceptions, exceptions for health of the mom and, and incest and rape. We're told that all the time. But these folks' feet are not held to the same fire. You see, when, when they pass legislation, no one is saying, well, what about exceptions? What about time limits? What about how many weeks they are pregnant? What about actual physical health or, uh, and not just looking at it liberally and saying anything goes? They woke up on the wrong side of the bed that morning, so that counts as a health ailment and they can have an abortion. But you see, they're, they're not asked the same question. They're not hold to the, held to the same standard as we are. And folks, that's our own fault because we're not bold enough to be bold in our legislation and in our conversations. Biden, too, sponsored legislation while in the Senate to make abortion legal after viability when needed to protect, quote, health, with the text not specifying physical health. Third, the Democratic platform endorses, quote, reproductive health rights and justice, including safe legal abortion, and opposes, quote, federal and state laws that create barriers to reproduce reproductive health and rights. It endorses taxpayer funding of abortion as well. The endorsements are not qualified and no limitations based on stage of pregnancy are mentioned. Fourth, neither Biden nor Harris say they believe abortions late in pregnancy should be prohibited. I see one piece of evidence that Biden does not believe abortions late in pregnancy should be legal. In 97, he said explicitly that he would like to ban all abortions after viability. But he was speaking in favor of legislation that was A, by his account, consistent with Roe v. Wade, and B, might not have banned any abortions at all. All in all, the evidence justifies the conclusion that Biden and Harris believe abortion should be legal at any stage of pregnancy, so long as an abortionist is willing to say it will promote the mother's emotional health. And journalists who assert otherwise are creating confusion where none need exist. That's the truth. That's not my truth. That's not the Republicans' truth. That is the truth. And that's where we are. And there's not journalists out there that are willing to ask these questions. I mean, you saw it just, what was it, last week, the week before at the debate. When asked about stacking the court, Joe Biden said, I'm not going to, he just said, I'm not going to answer it. He didn't dodge. He just said, I'm not going to answer that question. Now, why would they want to stack the court? They want to stack the court to enshrine Roe v. Wade. It's just the bottom line. Now, I'll admit the conservatives haven't done a great job when it comes to Roe v. Wade either. The reason we have abortion in the first place is because of Republican-appointed judges, period. Don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at the messenger. Google it. You'll see. Read up on the history of it. But don't let anyone tell you the person running as the challenger in this presidential election is moderate when it comes to life. He is not. And his vice presidential candidate may have been the most pro-abortion candidate on the ticket when they were running in the primary. Planned Parenthood celebrated through a party when they heard Harris was going to be on the ticket. 
Why do you think that is? Because of abortion. That's why. So the same way the pro-lifers celebrated when Mike Pence got added to the ticket because of his pro-life stance, the pro-abortion lobby celebrated when Harris was added to the ticket. But it's not just Harris. Biden, with his own words, has shown. At the very least, he's cowardly when it comes to this. And at the most, he's completely flipped and aggressive on abortion anytime during the pregnancy. And that's a problem. It's a problem, and it's going to hurt him in the voting uh, at the election in just a few weeks. We'll talk more when we come back. I want to be different. I want to be changed. Till all of me is gone. And all that remains is a fire so bright. The whole world can see that there's something different. So come and be different. As we finish up today, I do want to end uh, with, with some news that, uh, that I received this week concerning uh, Hope Resource Center and some financial uh, partnerships that we have. We, over the last couple decades, we have had all of our lab charges uh, done through lab partners, and, and we've had that taken care of in kind. And all that means is we haven't had to pay a dollar for any of our lab cost. That's hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years. Uh, that, that we have not had to take on as an organization. Well, as you know, 2020 has been weird for a lot of folks. A lot of things have had, had to been adapted and adjusted to. And one of those is some of our lab partners uh, have, have seen a loss in revenue. And that loss in revenue is, has forced them to make some cuts and make some changes. And what that means is hope was one of those cuts. And so about $70,000 a year has been that has been being taken care of in kind is no longer going to be taken care of. That means that as the executive director of Hope Resource Center, I, I need to come up with, I need to find, I need to raise seventy thousand uh, dollars because we didn't have that in our in our budget. We weren't we weren't um, uh, anticipating that that phone call. We weren't anticipate. We we didn't think that was going to come this year. Uh, but, but because 2020 is so weird, I wasn't completely caught off guard, and the Lord has been amazing and has blessed hope in, in more ways than I could even uh, go into on this show. Uh, but I say all that to say, if you want to partner with us at Hope, and, and folks, I'm just going to be honest for a second. I don't ask you for a lot of things. Uh, I don't spend every single hour, every single week of this show asking you for money. I don't. I, I bet you could count on one hand the amount of times I've asked you for money. Uh, to help us out at Hope Resource Center while being on this radio show. And, uh, and I bet it's, it may be a couple times, if that. Because what I try to do here every week is just to give you some information that I think will help you in, in, forming, in, in formulating your opinion and your conversation uh, topics on life and abortion. What I hope I do every week is a service to you and to those that are looking to know more about abortion and life. What I hope I'm doing is highlighting the amazing work of pregnancy centers, highlighting the amazing work of advocates that are all across this country doing, doing work to stand for the most vulnerable in our country. But today I'm asking you to join us. Make an investment at Hope. Investinghope.com, click the donate button and make an investment. Help us out with these labs. All of our services are free to the patient. 
All of our services are free to the patient. We never want those, the, those services, that, that cost of those services to make their way to the patient. We don't want taxpayer dollars. We don't want insurance money. We've been able to, to fully function providing roughly close to a million dollars every single year because of folks like you, because of churches, because of businesses that step up. We had a golf tournament yesterday where folks came out and we raised close to $50,000 to do the work that we do. But yesterday, while I'm riding around on the golf course talking with Partners of Hope, I get an email about the lab cost, which is $70,000 that I wasn't really prepared to raise in 2020. But here we are. And so would you help us? Would you make that investment? And, and, and folks, I'll let you know that that investment will, will show a return every time a woman walks in the doors of Hope Resource Center. It shows a return every time they see that positive pregnancy test. It shows a return every time they see their baby via ultrasound. It shows a return when they're in parenting classes. It shows a return when they receive their baby shower, when they sit down with a nurse practitioner, and ultimately when they're shared the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It shows a return. Would you help us? Would you stand with us? Would you partner with us? Invest in the work that's being done at 2700 Painter Avenue here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Would you do that? Look, the reality is we need $70,000. But also I know that Hope has been operating faithfully and consistently through, the, through your gifts and through the work of our Lord since 1997. That's not going to change. I believe the Lord is going to provide through this. I believe uh, Hope Partners are going to stand up. It's in your DNA to stand up with us. The church is going to meet this challenge. The church is going to stand up with us. Businesses in this community are going to meet this challenge and stand up with us. Will you meet this challenge and stand up with us? If you feel so led to do so, go to investinghope.com and click that donate button and partner with us as we finish this year out strong. 2020 has been one for the record books, but that doesn't mean we stop working. It doesn't mean we stop serving. It doesn't mean that there aren't still families out there in great need. Women facing unplanned pregnancies. They need you. We need you. And we thank you. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>